We're going to be back in Romans chapter 12 today. Now, I did not post last week's sermon. I'm going to tell you why. As I went through the sermon, I was, I was re- reviewing it, and I realized that I talked a lot about Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And that is true. Absolutely. What I failed to say, and obviously the assumption is you know this, he's resurrected. Amen? It's not enough that he just died on the cross, but he's with the right hand of the Father right now, waiting to come again. Jesus is alive and well. Matter of fact, uh, before I get to Romans, I'm going to turn to uh, Jude chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 1. And Jude, this is, this is, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in the God, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Listen to those words. Jude, Jude says, Jude didn't say, I'm a, I'm a brother of Jesus, though he was. I mean, if that, if that had been me, I'd have said, hey, hey, this is my bro over here. That's Jesus. I'm going to open up a store. I'm going to sell T-shirts in Jesus' name. This is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. That's my brother. But no, he, he says Jesus. He says Jude. He says a servant of Jesus Christ because Jude humbles himself, knows his place. He even talks about his brother, a brother of James. He says, I'm a brother of James, but I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that. That's totally separate from the sermon. But he says, to those who are called, listen to this. this. These are God's words speaking to you, the living word of God. If you want the word of God to get in you, you've got to get in the word. He says, to those who are called. If you're born again, given your life to Christ, repented of your sin, turned to Jesus, believed in his death, burial, and resurrection, you are beloved in God. I told the Sunday school class this morning that beloved is actually two words. Be loved. Be loved. And my grandson, when he was born, I showed you a picture of Graham. He's done nothing but be loved. I'm not impressed with his diaper antics. I'm not impressed with his cooing and awing. He didn't do anything. He can't do anything but be loved. You, beloved, are just to be loved by God. He can't possibly love you any more or any less. God loves you. Yeah, that's great stuff. Beloved in the God the Father and kept for, this is the important part, that's why I turn here, kept for Jesus Christ. The implication meaning this, Jesus Christ is here. Jesus Christ is ready. Jesus Christ is still alive. He's waiting. He's waiting. If we're kept for something, it's for a reason, for a person, for Jesus. He's still alive. You understand that? Death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? Amen. And all the work that was done on the cross was done for a wretched sinner just like me and you. And the greatest news that we could tell the world is you're a sinner. And people would say, that's a horrible thing to tell somebody. I'm telling you, it's the, it's the best thing I could tell you because it's the truth. You're a sinner in need of Savior. Why do I say this? Well, if you go to, uh, and again, I'm, 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 I'm going to come back to it, but I'm going to go to Romans chapter 3 real quick. It says this. In Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 11, none is righteous, no, not one. Actually, it's verse 10. 
None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. Doesn't say some. Doesn't say, doesn't say some of the religious people. Doesn't say those who went to seminary. Doesn't say those who sing in the choir or study their Bible. No, it says no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. He might be thinking, wow. And I struggled with that when I was 23 years old and for a lot of years. Okay, I'm not going to share that little story because it was kind of this morning I shared it in my Sunday school. I'm kind of embarrassed I shared some of that story the way I used to be. I can tell you I wasn't seeking God, but I can tell you, beloved, that before you even knew who God was and to seek Him, He was seeking you. He was seeking you. He was working on Pastor Scott when I was 23 years old and through secular circumstances in a non-Christian college, God introduced himself to me. Be on the lookout. God is always, always working. So I tell you these things in preface to Romans chapter 12. We started it last week because um, it's, it's kind of the, the last 11, 11 chapters of, of the letter of Romans, and you understand when he wrote the letter, it wasn't divided up in chapters. At this point in the letter, he goes back and reminds them, okay, in light of all of this, that everything that Jesus has done for you, he says, I, I, I beg you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, making them holy and pleasing to God. We talked a little bit about that last week. And these are the characteristics then of a, a true Christian walking in faith. Now, I'm going to pause there for a moment because I want to talk to you about true Christianity. Okay? The majority of, let's just, let's just talk about the Western world. The majority of the Western world would, would identify as Christian by the following definition. I'm striving to do my best. And in general, I'm good. That's a lie. And that's a, that's a difficult one in the world in which we live right now to overcome with any level of acceptability or even the presence of a love. Uh, I've had family members say, you mean so-and-so is going to go to hell because they haven't received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Don't you know they were the best people in the world? And they are. And they were. We have many people in our lives today who believe that just by being good, they can call themselves Christian. And I think the two words have become synonymous with one another. I'm a good person, therefore I'm a Christian. That, 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 that couldn't be further from the truth. Now, that being said, are Christians good people? Well, the Bible just told us no one is good. No, not one. But what are we? We're beloved. We're saved because we're sinners. All of us in here are hypocrites. Yeah. Some people say, well, I'm not going to go to your church. Uh, you know, you know, it's full of hypocrites. No, actually, actually, we got a pew preserved just for you. We, 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 got, we got some more pews. We have room for some more hypocrites. No, you know, by the world's definition of good, I would say that many of us are good. Yeah. 
But it's not by the definition of the world that we need righteousness in the eyes and the perspective of God, the great creator and the divine one. You see, he's not just a, a good and righteous judge, but he's holy and divine. And that which we can't even fathom, that no man has seen and lived, that, 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 that God, yes, we've, we, Jesus walked the earth for a period of time, and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I get that, but that is God manifested in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Then when Jesus died and was resurrected and before he ascended again into heaven, he said, I shall not leave you, I'll leave you with a comforter. The Holy Spirit came, and we read that a lot about that, specifically in the book of Acts, third person of the Holy Trinity. But the Father, God, uh, no one has seen, no, no human eye has seen him. As you know, I'm fascinated with science and, and cosmetology, not cosmetology, but astro, astrophysics and, and the cosmos. And I just, I just, just it, it's mind blowing, unfathomable how large a scale the universe is. Yet, there are three things that point to the reality of, of God existing. That is, creation itself. Where did we come from? The beginning. What was our origin? Where did we come from? And even scientists, well-founded, Harvard and Yale and all these scientists, Princeton, etc., California, uh, MIT. Yeah, there was a beginning. Well, the fact that there was a beginning means there had to be a beginner or a creator. So, so there's that issue. Then there's the other issue of, of as we look around, it's not just the fact that there was a beginning, so therefore there had to be a, a beginner or a creator, a God. Or you can look at simply, you can look at the complexities of design itself. My goodness, uh, when I was laying on the ground yesterday working on my truck, putting in some new running boards, which by the way, is a horrible job. Uh, and for a, a fat boy like me, squeezing up underneath the truck is not such a good thing sometimes. And you, you feel all the ants and the bugs and the, and the concrete and whatever else is on there. I've mean, literally smashed, but I'm looking over, reaching for a boat, and I see these ants. And the only thing that's going through my mind was the complexities of the design of an ant. Let alone the wrens in part of my yard and the hummingbirds over here. And I look through the windows, I see my three dogs. And I see the squirrels. Let alone a baby, human baby. Let alone a, a full-grown adult. Oh, just, 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 how about just the eyeball? Or just, just the fingerprint that we all have? Hey, come on. So the argument for God is not just there was a beginning, but there's also the argument by design and the complexities of this, that as you look at anything, you, 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 know, you look at this Bible and you, 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 you go, well, somebody made that. Well, of course they did. Somebody put it together. And he put the whole words in, in order and he labeled it. And nobody would say, well, that just happened. That would be awesome. You're stupid. You, you would think you're, you're, you're I'm going to use the word idiot. You're an idiot. You'd be thinking that just happened. Well, let me tell you something about life is way, way more complicated than this Bible is. I can tell you that. 
So there's that argument. Then, then the last argument, probably the most important one, is, is morality. The argument for morality, which is where we get into in Romans, and that is morality, moral blue. Where do our morals come from? Well, that's just something that we're ingrained with. Well, even if, even if we evolved from monkeys and we, we developed this idea of morality, and, and basically what I'm talking about is good and evil, dark and, and light. So the question becomes, okay, well, why is murder bad? Because it's a bad thing. I, I think it's a bad thing. Nobody wants to murder. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where did you, what tells you it's bad? But people do it, and we know it's bad. Okay, well, what about uh, lusting after somebody else's uh, property or persons? Let's call it coveting. Well, is that bad? Well, according to God, it is. But I don't know that I would know that it was if God had told me that it was. My point is that we all have this internal boundary, this internal consciousness of what is good and what is bad. My question to you is, who told you? So, so whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in a creator or not, whether you believe in uh, design or not, uh, you have to make the argument that I, I, I inherently know the difference between good and bad. And in fact, the people that don't know the difference between good and bad are mentally ill. There's a problem with them. But we all have an inherent understanding of what's good and what is bad. So the last thing I'll say to those three items is it's not enough just to have an intellectual understanding of there is a creator and it is complex and there is right from wrong. It's more than that because even Satan himself understands there's a savior. He understands that Jesus is real. He understands the Holy Trinity. He's been in the very throne room of God. You don't believe you look at the book of Job. No, it's not enough to intellectually know something. In the world in which we live today, many people think, in fact, that is indeed all text, is to be intellectually smart. No, no, no. It's about uh, receiving that. So the reason I read from Jude is Jude being one of probably at least seven kids that were in that family. We can go to that some other time. Fantastic family. You got Jude, you got James, you got Jesus, you got Mary, you got Joseph. And you've got Simon. Simon was part of the church too later when James died. Uh, was, was basically stoned to death after he was thrown off a high place. Simon kind of filled in where there was a gap. I don't know if you know that or not. It's in other historical documents. So Jesus' family, they were, they were awesome brothers, half-brothers, and there were some sisters too. But Jude reminds us that we're beloved and that even he is a brother of Jesus and why he was so intent on writing the book of Jude was to fight for or contend for the faith. Contend is a, is, is a, is a, is a, is a battle term. To fight for the faith. Jude said, I want you all to understand something as a brother of Jesus. I understood what he was saying but after I saw his resurrection I believed. I put my faith and my trust in my brother. And if a brother, John, or a Jude, James, and his mom Mary would do that, what kind of message does that send? I mean, that, that's, that's pretty enlightening to me. And, and so Jude writes very vehemently and, and almost angrily, you got to believe me. 
Put your trust, turn from your sin and turn from your sin and turn from your sin. We all have a sin problem. We all fall short of the glory of God. No one is good. No, not one. Not one is righteous. We all have been born into iniquity. And Jude says to us, fight for that and repent and turn to Jesus, the risen Savior. That's a Christian. Not somebody who just does these few things that we're going to talk about in Romans chapter 12. But that in light, people would receive intellectually, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and some of the others, religious zealots and such, the people that were very knowledgeable, understood the Old Testament. They understood God and his laws and his commands and such. So Paul wants to remind us what a true Christian looks like. So it's more than just having knowledge of, but receiving that truth that we're sinners and turning to Jesus. And verse 12 of chapter 12 of Romans says, rejoice in hope. We talked about this last week. So rejoice in the hope, the hope that be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That was part of our Sunday school lesson this morning, but what I'm gonna focus on today is starting in verse 14. Probably one of the hardest things to do. Bless those who persecute you. <laughs> Man, bless those who make fun of you. Bless those who hate you. Bless those who talk about you behind your back. Bless those that you can't stand. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not cuss them out, is what it said. Do not curse them. Do not wish harm upon them. Do not think about them in an Ill, in, in ill-conceived ways. Boy, I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with that sometimes. Somebody does you wrong and you say, well, treat me like that. You know. Oh, come on. Am I the only one? No. <laughs> We've all got people in our family that are the crazy ones, right? Somebody in the family is crazy. And, 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 you know, and if you're sitting there going, uh, well, I'm not sure who it is, you know, it might be. Could be you. you know. Even them, we've got to love. Don't persecute those who hate you, and their first response is, I'm going to get them back. Woke up a couple of you. We'll get them back. The Lord reminds us at the bottom of this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Huh. Like that. So, bless those who persecute you. So, the mark of a true Christian is somebody gets in your face. Okay. You know, I've, I've, I've had situations where people get right in your face about something. And I don't like it. And I could argue it. And I could make them look like a fool. Or I could do what God tells me to do and just say, you know what, I'm Thank you for your opinion. I appreciate that. I'll take that into consideration. And you walk away. And then, here's one for you. In your quiet time, and you get back in your little work truck like I do, you pray for that person as much as you don't want to. 
God says to do it. Pray for those who persecute you. It's really difficult to hate somebody when you pray for somebody. The gentleman that lives across the street from me that I've had so many issues with that I asked you to pray for, I think the prayer was more for me because I, I can tell you that things are good now. There are no problems. Why? Not because of anything I did, but because of God had already told me to do, which God saw from the very beginning, and that is don't persecute the persecutor, but bless them. So we covered him in prayer. I believe God is changing that man's heart. Now I don't know. I certainly can't change it. And it is another mark of a true Christian. And again, this doesn't make you a Christian, but this is a mark of a Christian. If you don't have these, you might go, well, because you know some people, they go, wow, they are, they're really a jerk. But and the, the, the quandary is this, the people that we go, well, they're really a jerk. We're not supposed to say that. We're not even supposed to think that. We're supposed to pray for them. But the reality of it is there's some people that you just absolutely know are not walking anywhere near the Lord. You just know. You just know by observing them, right? And that should not be what, that should not be how you look at a brother or sister. We should be these people. We should be the ones that's above, above the set apart, as it tells us earlier in the same scripture. So bless those. Don't curse them. And in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah. Yeah. And I've given this example before, and it's silly. Okay. But have you ever, like, I say, okay, I've got a new car, maybe new to you, right? right? And I know people like this. And of course, it's not a Ford to some people. It's, it's junk. It's not a Chevy. It's junk. It's not a whatever. Okay, so, so you, you show somebody your car and you're kind of proud of it, right? It's just a little car. It's new to me. It's not new, but it's new to me. And the first thing I want to tell you is all the problems that that particular model car has. So that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. Can't you just rejoice with me? And now I've got to pray for you because you're making me mad. <laughs> now I want to persecute you. But that's, an, that's a silly example, but celebrate the celebrations in people's lives. Don't be jealous. Good for you. Good for you. We're going to go on vacation here sometime in September or something. I'm going to go up visit some friends. Got a beautiful house sitting on a lake. They got a boat and dogs. Man, this is living, right? Good for them. Good for them. God has blessed them. Don't be jealous. That's what Paul says. Don't, don't be jealous. God says, don't be jealous. Don't rejoice with those who rejoice. And he says, and likewise, weep with those who weep. It's, there is a time, Ecclesiastes tells us, there's a time for weeping, there's a time for sorrow, there's a time for prayer, there's a time for all these things, death, there's a time for dying, time for living. There is a time for weeping. Jesus wept. Jesus cried. You know, the Lord, our God, wept. It's okay, men, to cry. I've been guilty of being in a department store and hearing a little baby cry. And I, I get kind of, because it makes me think of my children when they were that young. And I miss those days. It's, 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 it's bittersweet. But the point here is to rejoice with people who are rejoicing and where they're at. But also be willing to put your arm around them. Sit with them. Weep with them. Listen to them. Sometimes it's not about saying anything. It's just about being with somebody. 
What's mean? I don't know what to say. Well, don't say anything. Let, let, the, let the situation go where it might go. Let the Spirit work. But don't be afraid to, to also weep with people. Right? And that would include your enemy. If my enemy across the street house caught on fire this afternoon, I'd be the first one there to try to make sure that everybody was out and I would do what I could to call 911. I'm not saying that because of any other reason and that's what the Lord has said to do. The flesh, two months ago, just said, let him burn. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? Are, are we all capable of sinning? Oh, you betcha. Uh, I'm a born-again uh, believer, but uh, man, that old man sometimes comes creeping back in. The Bible tells me, well, the old has gone and the new has come. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? Yeah. So these are some of the characteristics. Reap, weep with those who weep. In verse 16, live in harmony with one another. You don't have to agree. You can agree to disagree. Live in harmony. Hey, you like Fords? That's fine. I like Chevys. I like Dodges. Like, people make fun of my Dodge at work. I say, oh, I've got this funny noise in my Dodge. And the response from the, the room was collectively, that's because it's a Dodge. <laughs> that's not, that's not the answer I was looking for. I want to know legitimately why is it I'm making this noise? Well, because it's a Dodge. No, 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 no. We can, we can agree, I know they're just kidding, to live in harmony. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, whether you're a liberal, whether you're a conservative, whether you're this or whether you're that, I, yeah, I don't have to like it, I don't have to love it, I don't have to accept it, but I do am called to live in harmony. Because every single one of you and every single one of us and every other single person that you associate with is made by the same God. And God desires that nobody perish and go to hell. And I say, well, why would God even give, make that as an option? Listen, if people can go to hell, no, listen, he, no, that's a choice. God is such a gentleman that he says, if you don't want to spend eternity with me, I'll, I'll give you that option. I'm not going to force you. There's one thing you can't force on people, and that's love. I can't force Julie to love me, my wife. And she can't force me to love her. There's a, there's a faith, there's a commitment, there's a, right? There's a, there's a level of, of a commitment there. And we're reminded in Jude when I read that first that Jesus is waiting. Jesus is there. Jesus is waiting for you. What are you waiting on? Live in harmony with with others. And it says, uh, do not be haughty. In other words, arrogant, cocky. He says, but associate with the lowly. Um, That means associate with everybody. Yeah. I've had to remind some of my own children, hey, you're doing well for yourself, but don't remember where you came from. I want, I want the best for you, but don't become haughty. Realize where your blessings come from. Right? And never be wise in your own sight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a problem in the world today. There's a lot of people who think they're smart. And I've been guilty of that a time or two. I'm smarter than you. Look at those plaques on the wall over there. You see that? It says, listen, maybe you are, but don't show up. I think Paul exemplified that probably better than anybody. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. What's the honorable thing to do? Last example I'll give you, and we'll continue this next week. I'm in Virginia, Illinois, walking. I'm getting my 
That weird noise on my Dodge looked at. It was a belt. I'd get a hold of a mechanic to tell me that, so he put a new belt on. It cost me 80 bucks. Right? Anyway, I live close enough that while he's doing the work, I'm walking back and I see a wallet laying on the road. I'm looking around. This is this a plant? I mean, why would somebody I pick it up and sure enough, there's, there's money and there's a debit card and there's a, there's a credit card and there's a name. Right? It's a nice wallet. I put it in my pocket and I go home. I immediately pull the names up on social media, start doing a search, and, and, and I find the person. And then the mother, who was, was a kid, okay, brought the child to the house to pick up the wallet. She was just so touched. She says, it's not so much what was in the wallet, she said, but that wallet belonged to my deceased father who just passed. I felt really good about that. So, folks, it's deeper than you, yourself. There's meaning in the things we do. You have a purpose. You have meaning in God's eyes. So don't, don't look at yourself too, too haughty, but also don't view yourself with too low self-esteem. God loves you. And you are uniquely made. You are uniquely qualified to be here today. You, you have been made by something that's unfathomable. God himself created you. And before the heavens and the earth, he knew you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he gave us his only one and begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? The Jesus of the cross that I talked about last week did not remain on that cross, but he is resurrected and he is alive today. He's alive today. He's with the Father waiting on his second return. Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, I thank you that the, the, everything just worked out. Lord, I thank you for the souls that are here today. I thank you for every person. Lord, I just ask for your blessing now upon us as we get ready to uh, wrap things up here and we sing our last song, Lord. We just uh, thank you to the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. We love you. We love you. I love you. And I pray that that is true for all of us here today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn will be page 576. Is that correct? We'll stand with me, page 576.